0: You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review for Tuesday, September 7th,
1: 2021. I'm Coda Babcock. And I'm Ivy Winfrey. And you're tuned in to KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, Ellie Shannon explains updates in campus news, and I'll be telling you about the Colorado Redistricting Board's newly released district map. After that, you'll be hearing
0: from the KCSU Music
1: Podcast with Lindsey Johnson and local band Slow Caves. I'll tell you about aid being provided to areas devastated by Hurricane Ida, and we'll hear from Kaylee Pickering about the College Ave magazine.
0: After that, I'll be giving new information on COVID-19 and speaking
1: to Lindsay Barker from The Collegian about cannabis delivery and cafes. To conclude the show, CODA discusses how automated hiring software makes getting hired even more difficult, and I'll be telling you about the weirdest stories I've found recently.
0: Let's move right into campus and local news.
2: Hey everyone, this is Ellie Shannon with KCSU, and you're listening to your weekly campus news for CSU. It's our third week of the fall semester, and ASCSU has been very busy lately. According to Isaiah Dennings and Piper Russell of the Collegian, ASCSU debated about the position of student director of diversity and conclusion. In the last summer session, a student director was elected, but eventually was never heard from after that. A letter of termination was issued in July, and the decision to nominate the runner-up candidate, Jocelyn, Jocelyn Orgy, was decided in early August according to student body president Christian Dixon. Some senators were apprehensive since the ratification of Jocelyn Orgy was, quote, a behind-the-scenes kind of hiring, according to Senator Lizzie Osterhaus. A final decision to nominate Orgy was ultimately decided, but with the promise of more communication in similar matters like this from the executive branch. An interdisciplinary group of Colorado State University researchers is part of a 15 million National Science Foundation research network created to enhance sustainability, equity, and resilience in the Intermountain West, according to Jamie DeLoss of CSU's College News. Assistant Professor in the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering, Ryan Morrison, will lead a team from CSU in the five-year project. The project is going to focus on catastrophic events, such as fires, declining water supplies, and rapid urban population growth in three regions of Colorado. This research will be important for drawing together diverse institution and partners across the Intermountain West, Morrison stated. CSU lost in their football game against South Dakota University last Friday, but hopes are high as the Rams take on Vanderbilt this upcoming Saturday at 8 p.m. Make sure to keep bringing your masks to class and to tune into the Rocky Mountain Review Tuesdays and Thursdays from 4 to 5 p.m. Thanks for listening. I'm Ellie Shannon, and this is KCSU on 90.5 FM.
1: Hello there. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and this is your local news for today at 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Fort Collins police services are increasing their presence at Poudre School District schools following an unsubstantiated shooting threat made against the schools according to molly bohannon at the coloradoan lieutenant kelly weaver who serves over the student resource officers program says that police became aware of the threat late thursday evening the threat was made over snapchat a picture and text sharing app and was two to three days old by the time police were made aware of it weaver said he added that the post that they saw was what they referred to as a fourth hand information at a minimum Weaver said that the image had no visible guns and was vague and encouraged people who saw it to carry out a shooting at Fort Collins schools. Police don't know if the person who made the threat has any ties to the district. Weaver says that as of 8 in the morning Friday, the Safe to Tell program received at least 32 calls about the threat. Families were informed of the potential threat and heightened visibility of SROs through a district email, though for many, it arrived after they had dropped their children off at school Friday. Patrol officers plan to be more visible around the schools Friday, according to Fort Collins Police Services spokesperson Kate Kimball. PSD officials couldn't be reached immediately to comment on the threat, the timing and notification, or the district procedures for informing families of threats. Douglas County School District has similar reports of a potential shooting threat on Wednesday, according to the district Facebook post, quote, the Douglas County Sheriff's Office and Douglas County School District began receiving safe-to-tell tips regarding rumors of a potential school shooting to occur at several Douglas County schools, end quote, on Friday. The district said the threats were investigated and unsubstantiated, but that additional security would be posted at all schools involved. Neighbors living near Front Range Village will have a chance to weigh in on plans for a residential development proposal north of the southeast Fort Collins Shopping Center. According to Pat Ferrier at the Coloradoan, the City Fort Collins Planning and Zoning Department has scheduled a virtual neighborhood meeting Wednesday to discuss an overall development plan for 29 acres between Front Range Village and the English Ranch neighborhood. The overall development plan proposed by Landmark Homes of Windsor is designed to set a framework for future phased development on the site. As of now, the proposal includes between 400 to 500 apartments and 250 to 300 for sale townhomes and condominiums. Landmark officials met with city planners in July to discuss preliminary plans. The neighborhood meeting is the next step in the city's development review process and is required before any formal plans are filed. Preliminary plans filed with the city show higher-density apartments along Ziegler and Corbett, with condominiums and townhomes closer to English Ranch. The conceptual plan shows hundreds of units spread across nine two-story brownstones, two three-story condo buildings, two four-story apartment buildings, and two three-story apartment buildings. The neighborhood meeting will be held from 6 to 7.30 Wednesday evening. Information on how to participate in the virtual meeting will be available at fcgov.com slash development review proposals two days prior to the meeting. Colorado's redistricting committee has released a new district map with large changes in each of Colorado's congressional districts compared to the current sizes of the districts. According to Caitlin Kim and Bente Berkland at Colorado Public Radio, this newly released version of the map is a launching point for discussion by commissioners as they work toward a final map that most of them can agree on. The biggest change is to the 3rd Congressional District. Currently, it forms a massive hook encompassing the entire western slope and pe- Pueblo, but the new staff map transforms it into a southern and western district that only reaches as far north as I-70, including Mesa and Engle angle counties and then stretches east past pueblo to include crowley otero and los animas counties this change means the western slope would be split into two districts with the northern portion ending up in the second congressional district under this configuration the current third district representative republican lauren bobert who lives in garfield county would find herself drawn into co2 that per uh, potentially sets up a race between her and the current incumbent of that district, Democrat Joe Neguse. The state constitution specifically says commissioners cannot try to protect the interests of current office holders as they designed a new map. In a memo with the new proposal, the nonpartisan staff noted that the commission was divided on the idea of a largely southern district. However, a majority recommended that the map keep together with the San Luis Valley, Pueblo, in the lower Arkansas Valley, and the southern Ute and U Mountain tribal lands in the far southwest. One thing that does remain largely unchanged in this draft is Colorado's newest congressional district, co 8 It would remain in the North Denver Metro, starting from Adams County and extending up mostly along the eastern side of I-25. It does shed the metro north areas of Westminster, Broomfield, and Arvada, and instead would extend further north into Weld County. Grabbing part of Greeley and Windsor, losing bluer areas of the state and gaining redder ones could make it the state's most competitive seat. With the release of the new map, the panel is now working to agree on a final plan and get it to the state Supreme Court no later than September 28th. Staff will formally present the map to the commission at a meeting on Monday. That will be followed by a round of final remote public meetings, one for each congressional district, before the panel is then set to finalize the map. The Colorado's Constitution requires a supermajority vote to approve the final map, which means eight of the commission's 12 members need to be on board. It also requires support from at least two commissioners who aren't affiliated with either major political party. If enough commissioners can't rally around a map by the September 28th deadline, a staff-drawn map will be submitted to the court instead. The Colorado Supreme Court must approve the Congressional Redistricting Map by December 15th. To look at the newly proposed map yourself, you can visit redistricting.colorado.gov. My name is Abby Winfrey, and this is your local news for today. We'll be right back on the, with the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.
3: Hey there! I'm Lauren from the Collegian at RMSMC, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.
0: We're going to be moving into the KCSU Music Podcast to listen to their most recent piece, which discusses local band Slow Caves as well as Lyric Cinema. For more KCSU podcasts, listen to us online at kcsufm.com by going to the podcast section, or you can check us out on Spotify by searching KCSU.
4: Hello, and welcome back to the KCSU Music Podcast by KCSU-FM. I'm Lindsay, one of the music directors here at KCSU, and today I'm coming at you with a concert review about a live show I most recently saw. So, Recently, I was blessed up with a chance to go see local bands Slow Caves and Wilderness at the Aggie Theatre in Fort Collins. I'd never been to the Aggie before, although I know it's been around for a long time. Literally over a century, having been built in 1906. It began as a furniture store, then turned into a movie cinema until 1995 when it was reborn as a live music venue. So it's been a hot spot for entertainment for a long time. It's fun to imagine the nights out and the lives of all the people who have gone to a show there. And finally, after my four years of living in Fort Collins, my own thread was tied to the Aggie. Or, more accurately, my own beer stains sunk into the sticky, cheap drink-infused wood floors. Let me set the scene for you. The venue opens into a level with two different bars and benches lining either side, split mid-room by a pit for the sound and light engineers, and then dropping slightly into a wide, dark dance floor set before the stage. It was around 5pm when I arrived. Early, yes, but I had a purpose. I was setting up the green room for the bands. I'm an intern for the nonprofit profit Sustained Music in Nature, and this was actually an event they were hosting to raise awareness for both public lands and local bands. Thus, I had a free ticket to the show, the only caveat being that I helped here and there with things like setup and Sustained Silent Auction. The green room was off to the side down a set of stairs, and made me think of the friend's house you always crash at on the weekends in high school. You know, the one with the mostly finished basement and a mini-fridge to stuff your takeout in? There was some counter space, a sink, a couple thick leather couches, a TV, and a sign on the wall advertising ABCDs. There was also a vanity with somebody's curling iron and makeup bag set on top of it. Lauren, sustains other intern, and I were setting up the food we'd brought for the artists. Seltzers, cheese and crackers, hummus, and vegetables fresh from our supervisor's garden. As we did, footsteps approached, and suddenly the room was packed with people, the people making up the band Wilderness. Lauren and I were surprised when the lead singer, Emma Cole, addressed us by name. She smiled and pointed to the name tags we were wearing from an earlier Sustain event, and we laughed. The whole band was very kind and said they'd just been walking around town a little bit before the show. Lauren and I left the green room and went upstairs to see Slow Caves doing their sound check on stage. The lights were up, and various venue workers were spaced out around the band as they tested out their instruments, shouting to each other and making adjustments to fit the environment and get the sound up to show quality. Everyone was very well-mannered throughout the process, and, this being the first soundcheck I'd ever seen, I thought of the movies I'd watched depicting big stage rock and roll bands shouting orders with little regard for anyone else. Slow Kids was not that band. A little while later, the venue doors opened, and a few people started to trickle in. I'll remind you that this was an event put on by Sustain rather than the bands or their labels, and actually, Sustain had originally told Lauren and I that they were hoping to sell several hundred tickets, but when the opener, Miguel Avina began his set around 7pm, there were maybe 20 people spread throughout the whole theater. It's too bad, and everyone who wasn't there was seriously missing out. For starters, Miguel had on this beautiful jacket that looked like it belonged to some divine disco suit, all done in silver sequins that glittered beneath the colored lights on the stage. His hair was huge and surrounded him in long waves. His look perfectly matched the flowing warmth of his voice. He sang in Spanish for most of the set, so I unfortunately can't tell you exactly which songs he sang, but his voice was lovely to listen to, and his presence was tangible. Miguel grew up in Mexico, where his father was also a performer in the hard rock band El Crow. He played lead guitar for his father's band as he got older and became passionate both about playing music and entertaining those who had shown up. Grateful to be able to give back that energy. In an interview with Denver's 303 magazine about the accessibility of Latin culture in the city, he mentions that Latin music is all about movement, is infused with movement one way or another, which reflected in the set that I got to see. I can only describe him as a summer night sky full of stars. During Miguel's set, the sound engineer running the board caught my eye. I'd seen him helping out Slow Caves with Soundcheck and asked what he was doing. His name was Max, and he invited me in the pit to show me the board. He explained how the musician's instruments were hooked up so that he had control over the sound environment, making sure everything was well balanced, and avoiding any odd tones or pitches, which takes a trained ear. He said that he was frustrated because there was a weird clicking sound due to someone's guitar input jack not being clean, and that was something he wasn't able to fix from his spot in the engineering pit. There was too much on the board for me to make sense of it all in one go, but it was so exciting to peel back another layer of what makes for a great live music experience. Miguel Avina's set came to a close, and I looked around to see a few more people had filtered into the venue. They were oddly all sticking to the sides of the room instead of getting out in front of the stage. Why wouldn't you go for a front row spot but i guess that's not my business and anyway it left more space for lauren and i to dance without risking bumping into other people because now slow caves took the stage Flow Caves formed back in 2014 between brothers Jacob and Oliver Mueller and their childhood friends David Dugan and Jacqueline Puris. after they'd played in various bands throughout high school. They've toured extensively and have opened for acts like Modest Mouse, Cold War Kids, Cake, and Third Eye Blind, which speaks to the heavy impact they've made in the Denver indie rock scene. They've released several EPs and one full-length album, 2019's Falling, which is much of what they played for us. They opened with the song Girlfriend, which starts out kind of gently before quickly breaking out into a jamming rock number. Right off the bat, their performance was bright and dynamic, and with quite a full lineup of instruments. I saw four different guitars, with Jakob and David doubling up on bass and vocals, and a drummer out back as well. They jumped around stage, and I really loved the classic alt-indie expression they gave off. Something about it was like a photo captured in sepia tones of people messing around and relaxing on the beach under the sun. I'd gotten an iced tea beer, which was really the perfect complement to their surfy sound. They played songs like Falling Through the Clouds and my favorite of theirs, Speaking in Tongues, but what really stole the show for me was the covers they played. Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit and Faith Hill's Kiss Me, both of which were absolutely excellent. Kiss Me was especially unexpected and so fun to hear. Slow Caves is a band i definitely go see play again, and their most recent single, Before I Leave, just came out if anyone wants to hear the latest from this great local band. In between Slow Caves and wildernesses set, I noticed a woman standing alone watching the show near the back and struck up a conversation with her. She had this beautiful, sparkling winged eyeliner and looked really glamorous. She told me her name and that she'd been coming to see shows at venues all around Fort Collins since she was in the sixth grade. That night, she was there to see Wilderness, the evening's main act, but had arrived in time to see Miguel Avena and Sloates as well, as any hardcore local music fan does. Finally, there was a solid crowd of a few dozen people in front of the stage, just in time for Wildermiss to come on. Wildermiss is also an indie rock band from Denver. Emma Cole sings and plays synth, Joshua Hester plays guitar, and Caleb Thumke is on drums. They played their first show together in a basement in 2016, and have since been headlining shows all over Denver, supporting acts nationwide, and have released a couple EPs and several singles over the course of their career. The first comparison that came to mind as I watched Wildermiss perform was Paramore, because they had that same high-production alt-rock with an edge, though there was still something classically Denver about them. All band members were outfitted in shirts and pants in shades of peach pink. Joshua had long hair covering his face as he ripped on the guitar, which apparently did not inhibit his playing skills and I think actually made him more powerful as a classic rock and roll guitarist. As Emma jumped and kicked and danced on stage while switching back and forth between vocals and synth, you had to appreciate the band's talent as performers. Their presence felt like something big stage, like they belonged at Red Rocks. You couldn't take your eyes off Emma or the power she projected in her singing. The set included the songs Fake, Super Magical, and "Starfaced." They said they appreciated the intimacy of the show and their act got us all dancing in full capacity. At this point in the evening, Lauren had left, so I was dancing alone, and I want to inform everyone that this is a total vibe, and only lame people think it's lame to be alone at concerts, if you were ever wondering. And also, when a band as great as Wilderness is playing, you're just lucky to be there experiencing it. They were great, and I hope they come back to town soon. The sets had ended, the songs had been played, our bodies and hearts had been moved, and it was time for the evening to come to an end. I was just helping Sustain wrap up their silent auction when Jakob of Slow Caves approached with his partner Celia. They introduced themselves, and Jakob expressed his appreciation for the event. He was very charismatic and well-mannered, and said he was really just happy to give people a reason to go and have fun again. These are the types of experiences that give me so much joy and make me feel so lucky to be around Fort Collins, where our local music scene is filled with some really amazing and talented people. It's awesome that we get to support and entertain and express ourselves to each other, and if you haven't been to a show around town yet, there's always tons going on, and it's worth looking into. You'll probably end up having a really great time, and there's few experiences that engage the body, mind, and soul like live music. Thank you to Miguel Avinia, Slow Caves, and Wilderness for their performances, and to Sustain Music and Nature for hosting the event. And with that, my concert story comes to a close. Thank you so much for checking out the KCSU Music Podcast. Once again, I'm Lindsay, one of the KCSU music directors, and I really appreciate your supporting local college radio. Have a great day, and make sure to tune in to 90.5 FM or go online to kcsufm.com to see more of the cool stuff we do. Radio is alive and thriving people. Get into it. Catch you next time.
0: Once again, that was the KCSU Music Podcast with our music director, director, Lindsay Johnson. I'm Koda Babcock, and we'll be right back. But if you want to check out more podcasts, be sure to go online to our website, kcsufm.com.
1: Is a proud supporter of Colorado State University and KCSU. Old Aggie Superior Lager is the official craft beer of Colorado State University and is a collaboration alongside CSU and New Belgium Brewing. The result is Old Aggie Superior Lager, a light lager that gives back to the University. Old Aggie is the official craft beer of Colorado State University and brewed by Ram Fans. Enjoy responsibly. Hello there, my name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. This is your national news for today. President Joe Biden approved major disaster declarations Monday, sending federal aid to New Jersey and New York counties devastated by flooding due to Hurricane Ida. According to the Associated Press, at least 50 people were killed in six eastern states as record rainfall overwhelmed rivers and sewer systems last Wednesday. Some people were trapped in fast-filling basement apartments and cars or swept away as they tried to escape. The storm also spawned several tornadoes. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy says Biden's major disaster declaration will allow individuals to receive assistance, including grants for temporary housing and home repairs, and low-cost loans to cover uninsured property losses. An existing emergency declaration issued last week enabled state, county, and local governments to get reimbursed for the disaster spending, Murphy says. Biden's disaster declarations cover Bergen. Gloucester, Hunterdon, Middlesex, Passaic, and Somerset counties in New Jersey and allow for individual assistance for people in Bronx, Queens, Kings, and Richmond in Westchester counties in New York. Murphy said that he would be talking to Biden during his visit about adding other counties to the major disaster declaration. Emergency unemployment benefits expired Monday, ending an important safety net program that millions of Americans have been relying on during the COVID-19 pandemic. According to Scott Horsley at National Public Radio, at last count, more than 12 million people were receiving some form of unemployment aid. Most will be cut off entirely after Monday. The rest will see their benefits reduced by $300 per week. Economists at Wells Fargo estimate that as pandemic programs expire in the remaining states, federal unemployment payouts will drop from $32 billion a month to around $3 billion. The Biden administration says that if states choose, they can redistrict other federal redirect other federal funds to extend jobless benefits beyond next week. So far, though, no state has announced plans to do so. The Pfizer COVID-19 booster shots will begin rolling out the week of September 20th, and Moderna's booster shots may be delayed. According to Jacob Pramuk at CNBC, the Biden administration has announced plans to offer third doses to people who received the Pfizer and Moderna shots, pending approval from the public health officials. The U.S. recommends an additional shot, Eight months after the second dose, well, How- uh, White House Chief Medical Advisor Dr. Anthony Fauci said Sunday that for people who are trying to get their booster shots and previously received Moderna shots, it would be better for them to wait for the Moderna shots to become approved rather than receiving the Fi- uh, Pfizer shot. He noted that the U.S. plans to release data in coming weeks on mixing vaccines from different manufacturers. In calling for a third Pfizer and Moderna doses, U.S. health officials cited data for the Centers for Disease Control that found protection against infection waned several months after the second shot. More than 1.3 million people have received an additional shot after the U.S. authorized them for certain immunocompromised individuals, according to the CDC. That's all the national news I have for right now. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.
0: Today, I'm joined by Kaylee Pickering, the editor-in-chief for College Ave. College Ave is the magazine branch of Rocky Mountain Student Media at Colorado State University and gives students the opportunity to produce full magazine editions with their peers. So thanks for joining me today, Kaylee. Of course, thanks for having me. So to start off with, can you tell me a bit about what College Avenue is beyond a magazine?
5: Yeah, um, so like you said, we are the student-run magazine at CSU, um, but you're right, we do a lot more than that. We like to cover the stories of people. Um, We really enjoy diving into people's stories and experiences and sharing that with other people. Um, We tend to focus more on feature stories, so those are longer stories that really develop um, what an experience or what a person is going through
0: all right for sure and then what topics does college Ave typically cover when doing those features
5: uh we usually do we do like local businesses sometimes sometimes it's arts and culture obviously we do stuff at csu um we've done lifestyle kind of stuff basically anything fort collins um we like to include the community as much as we can
0: amazing and then how what do you think are some of the most exciting stories college Av has covered in the past
5: uh we've done a lot um i'm pers- I personally enjoyed writing the the Candyman Can story um, from two years ago. Um, Aspen Flores also wrote a great story about the Latina women's vote last year. That was really good. Um, We've had quite a few. Um, There was also one about partying during the pandemic. I thought that was really relevant last year and a really fun one just to kind of explore what college students were going through last year. So, yeah, we've had quite a few fun ones, and I hope we get more out there this year as well.
0: Definitely. What does production for the magazine look like?
5: Yeah, so we have a staff meeting every Monday. um, And that's where all writers and sometimes our designers show up. We have a pitch meeting every few weeks where writers will get pitches. And at the end of that meeting, we will assign writers their stories. Um, Then every week that um, um, weekly meeting um, is just kind of a check-in for writers, making sure they're getting their interviews, making sure everything's going well. Um, And that's pretty much what production looks like for the writing side. Uh, We do do freelance writing, so it's a little more easier. You can work on your own time. And then as for our designers, we assign our designers whatever design based on what stories we have. Um, And they work on the same time kind of as freelancers. Um, And then at the end, we put it all together. So, yeah, pretty simple production process.
0: Yeah. And then that in, that clearly involves more than just like a handful of people. So how many people do you think it typically takes to do all that production work for an issue?
5: Yeah. So for one issue, we have probably at least five or six writers, um, three editors, and then probably five to six designers. And then we do use photographers from the Collegian. So I'd say probably about four Photographers. All right, for sure. Yeah. And then what do you think is one of the
0: best things about working on a magazine while you're in college?
5: Oh, I really enjoy, um, like I said earlier, I just enjoy like telling the stories of others. And it's cool to be at this position where I'm looking at the production of the magazine and how that works. Um, But most of all, I think it's very flexible for people's schedules. You have a lot more time to work on a story. So you have a lot more time to develop it. Um, But I think the best part is really just getting to listen to people and getting to know somebody and then being able to tell their story. I think that's really amazing and it gets me really excited um, for what life after college is going to look like as a journalism major.
0: Definitely. And then with all of those experiences, how do you think the College Ave is really different from other branches of student media where you might have to do more immediate work or have less time on deadlines? And how would you really describe the environment at College Ave and at those meetings?
5: Yeah, um, so I'm really working this year to kind of make us all kind of like a family um, at College Avenue. That's my goal this year. Um, But we we get along pretty well. Um, We help each other with story ideas in the past. Like other writers have always helped other writers with whatever sources they need. Um, So I'm hoping to continue that kind of family feeling. Um, and then as for the difference in like, um, deadlines, it's really nice on college app because like I said earlier, you have so much time to develop your story and you're not as rushed. Um, and I think that kind of filters into how you write a story. You're going to spend more time working on the quality of your story and you're going to spend more time really listening to those interviews, really getting to know those people and really putting a lot more time and effort into your stories.
0: For sure. And then speaking of your goals, what are some of your other goals for the year beyond just making the College avenue into a family?
5: Yeah. So um, I'm really hoping that this year we can get more um, video and audio on the website. Um Meg last year she created our for our own website and it's amazing so I'm hoping we can have more infographics more audio more video whatever we can get I would love to also collaborate more with other sides of student media Um, we're thinking about maybe doing a kind of podcast with KCSU um, so that's exciting Um, Krista McAllister um, with CTV we're also going to be collaborating on a story with them so it's all very exciting Um, I also just hope Like I said earlier, just to kind of cultivate the atmosphere and community of College Ave, um, but just to inspire writers to keep looking into people's experiences and keep exploring that.
0: For sure. And then with that new website being up, um, how can people view past College Avenue editions? And when is the next issue um, expected, at least in a ballpark date right
5: now? Um, So you can go ahead and go to collegeavmag.com and all of our issues are there. You can search whatever you want. We also have archives. Um, But our next print edition is coming out on October 6th, um, which is homecoming week. Um, And we will be doing traditions of CSU in Fort Collins. So our writers are working really hard on it. You won't want to miss these stories. All right. And then if listeners want to get involved with College
0: Avenue after hearing this, how can they do that?
5: Yeah. um, You can also visit that website. There's a work for us page you can visit at collegeabmag.com. You can also email editor at collegeabmag.com. Um, or contact anyone on student media and let let us know that you're interested in working for the magazine.
0: All right. And then just going over all that, if those people are interested, what can those volunteers really expect if they decide to get involved?
5: Yeah. So like I said, you will be coming to meetings once a week. Um, You will be pitching your own ideas um, and you'll just be writing stories. It depends on if you want to do writing or design. Obviously, design will look different because you'll be doing more designing. But we are putting all of our writers through a five-week training program. Um, So you can still write stories when you're doing that training program, um, but it's just five weeks of getting to know who we are, doing some reporter training, that kind of stuff.
1: All
0: right. And then is there anything else you'd like to add about College Ave?
5: Yeah, I'd say if you're interested in working for a magazine or you're interested in telling the stories of others, definitely reach out and get involved. It's an amazing experience just to be able to listen and to convey other stories Um, and definitely check out our new edition coming out on October 6th.
0: All right. Thank you so much. Again, that was Kaylee Pickering, the editor-in-chief at College Avenue, and we'll be right back. I'm Coda Babcock and these are COVID-19 Updates for Tuesday. Colorado State University reports no new cases over the weekend as of this morning, and over 3,400 total cases among students, staff, and faculty at CSU. Around 83.5% of students are partially or fully vaccinated, along with 81% of staff and faculty. Larimer County and the CDC report high levels of community transmission for COVID-19. Laramie County recommends that in high transmission risk periods, residents take the following precautions. Get vaccinated as soon as possible if you are not already. Wear masks indoors and in crowded outdoor settings regardless of vaccination status. Be sure your mask has a snug fit and consider wearing a KN95 mask or surgical disposable mask. Disposable masks can be adjusted by tying knots in the ear loops. Postpone all gatherings if possible, and if the event must occur, consider re- requiring all attendees to be vaccinated or limiting the number of invited households. If the event is indoors, consider moving it outdoors. Get tested for COVID-19 if you have any concerns over exposure or symptoms. The county reports a case rate of 253 per 100,000 residents in the past week. and In the past week, 7% of all COVID-19 tests came back positive. 85 COVID patients are currently in area hospitals, and ICUs are full with over 100% of available beds in use. The state of Colorado offers gift cards to eligible unvaccinated people who get their COVID-19 vaccines at select sites. For more information, visit covid19.colorado.gov. The state reports that 3.3 million Coloradans are vaccinated against the virus that causes COVID-19. Over 627,000 cases of COVID-19 are reported since recording began, along with 7,000 dead. The United States reports over 39.9 million cases of COVID-19, with Labor Day complicating the availability of yesterday's data. Sunday, cases increased by over 38,000, and in the past week, they increased by over 11%. In the past two weeks, they increased over 11%. The U.S. reports over 648,000 deaths, with an increase of over 300 on Sunday. In the past two weeks, deaths increased by over 56%. The vast majority of U.S. states are experiencing what National Public Radio refers to as unchecked or escalating community spread of COVID-19. Information from today's segment comes from Colorado State University, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, the Centers for Disease Control, and National Public Radio's Coronavirus Tracker. That's all for COVID-19 updates. I'm Cutter Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. Now we're going to be speaking to Lindsay Barker about cannabis delivery and its potential in Fort Collins. Today, we're joined by Lindsay Barker, a cannabis reporter for The Collegian, to talk about her recent article as well as the cannabis desk at The Collegian. So thank you for joining me today, Lindsay.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me, Koda.
0: All right, to start off, can you give us some details about the pieces of legislation that allow for cannabis delivery in cafes and some insight on why it hasn't been used in Fort Collins yet?
3: Sure, yeah. So in 2019, Governor Polis signed two pieces of legislation around marijuana delivery and then marijuana hospitality in Colorado um, and left it up to local jurisdictions. So it's up to the city whether they want to implement those laws or not. Um, with the me- With the delivery... Um, it requires training for the drivers and also protects them from prosecution while also charging a $1 surcharge per order that goes back into local marijuana enforcement funds, which is nice for the city. That helps them kind of further enforce if these laws were to be implemented. Um, it also prohibits delivery to college campuses, which makes sense federally. or a state we're a federally funded school. But um, yeah, so that's a little bit about the delivery piece. And then the hospitality businesses can be new or pre existing, um, so it could create a new space or you can be a food retail establishment and apply for a license. Um, You also can't possess a liquor license at the same establishment, which is interesting. So you can't be like a cannabis consumption lounge and also a bar with alcohol. Um, It also has an exemption to the Colorado Clean Indoor Air Act, which that is kind of iffy because the city of Fort Collins has their own clean indoor air regulations. And um, so that would kind of be interesting. That would definitely be an obstacle when if and when the city decides to move forward with that legislation.
0: For sure. And then these businesses, um, cannabis cafes and delivery systems are pretty present in Denver. Is there anything that Fort Collins can take note of when thinking about implementing these services locally?
3: Yeah. So Denver actually did a pilot program for hospitality lounges and cafes and that kind of thing um, for a couple of years to see how it would work out before actually implementing um, set legislation on that. So they, left it up to neighborhoods to decide whether they wanted to have those consumption lounges in their like community so that's something that fort collins could maybe try instead of like hard and fast laws right away they could do like a pilot program to see how the community kind of reacts to that um, and enjoys that or not or that kind of thing so i think that could be an option for the city maybe do a pilot program
0: all right and then how has interest in these programs compared to government priority and how do you think that might change in the next year
3: So hopefully it'll change so that it's a little bit more of a priority. Right now they just said they haven't um, heard much from the industry themselves so like dispensaries aren't like they've heard some interest but not a crazy amount from the industry and then from the public they haven't I don't know if it's that they haven't heard much or that they haven't necessarily reached out to see if there's interest because being in Fort Collins there is a large like college community and large like younger population and so I think maybe that they would be interested, but I just don't think there's been a lot of outreach and it hasn't really been made a priority for
0: them. Definitely. And then you spoke to Jim Lenders, who works as the Fort Collins Marijuana Enforcement Officer. And he said that city council has been part of the slowdown in this. Can you explain what city council might need to do for this to be an option for businesses in Fort Collins?
3: Yeah, definitely. So I also talked to Ginny Sawyer. She's the policy and project manager. And then also Kelly Olson, who's a city council member himself. And they just need they would need to do a lot of public engagement, a lot of public outreach to see who's actually interested in this and see what the community's thinking. Um, and that's something that could happen. That's not something that's like hard and fast. We can't do, you know, like they seemed open to it. and and the possibility of reaching out to the community to see who's interested. So um, that's what they would need to do. It'd be a lot of public outreach.
0: All right. Awesome. And then is there anything else you'd like to add about the story or the cannabis desk at the Collegian?
3: Well, yeah, the cannabis desk is new. We just started kind of this semester writing this past summer writing cannabis articles. I think we might may or may not be one of the first like collegiate level cannabis desks, which is kind of exciting. Um, So yeah, just if you have any story ideas, let us know. If you want to write for The Cannabis Desk, let us know. It's kind of like new and fun. And yeah, so yeah, that's a little bit about The Cannabis Desk. All
0: right. Thank you so much for your time.
3: Yeah, of course. Thank you, Koda.
0: We'll be right back. I'm Coda Babcock, and this is Tech News for Tuesday, September 7th. Ride-sharing companies Uber and Lyft say they will cover legal fees of Texan drivers who are sued under the state's new abortion law. According to Shannon Bond from National Public Radio, the new Texas law allows for private citizens to sue anyone who supports someone else in obtaining an abortion, including drivers. In a statement from Lyft, the company said, quote, drivers are never responsible for monitoring where their riders go and why. Imagine being a driver and not knowing if you are breaking the law by giving someone a ride, end quote. The company continued in the statement, quote, Riders never have to justify or even share where they are going and why. Imagine being a pregnant woman trying to get a health care appointment and not knowing if your driver will cancel on you for fear of breaking the law. Both are completely unacceptable, end quote. Lyft's statement was signed by Lyft's CEO, president, and general counsel. Following Lyft's statement, Uber CEO Dara Khosrowshahi Shahi said on Twitter, quote, Team Uber is in, too, and will cover legal fees the same way, quote. This tweet was also thanked Lyft for the push to protect all rideshare drivers. A variety of other companies, including dating apps, are working to provide other services to those seeking abortion or other reproductive care through private funds. A new report says that automated hiring software rejects job applicants that cons- be- would otherwise be considered for positions. According to James Vincent at The Verge, the report comes from Harvard Business School and applies to resume-scanning software. The study's authors point out that this is creating issues for unemployed but qualified individuals who are locked out of positions due to structural and technological issues. The study served to identify issues in employment, but pointed out that this software's problems with identifying quality candidates may be one of the biggest. 75% of U.S. employers use them, and 99% of Fortune 500 companies use the softwares. One of the errors in the software comes from the oversimplified good and bad sorting algorithms for applicants. Many applicants were locked out despite having all necessary qualifications, but by labeling their duties in ways the system didn't recognize. After Apple announced a new tool intended to prevent child exploitation last month, the company is pausing the tool's release due to privacy concerns. According to Claire Duffy and Samantha Murphy-Kelly at CNN Business, Apple announced the pause in testing for the program Friday and now intends to work on giving more transparency to users about the privacy implications of the program and to work around issues in the meantime. The tool originally intended to check iOS devices and applications for child abuse imagery, including an often feature that would blur sexually explicit images delivered to minors or their parents through iMessage. Some child safety groups praise the intentions of the program but address the ethical issues and privacy concerns held by critics regarding where these images would go. That's all for tech news, I'm Coda Babcock and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins, now for weird news.
1: Hello there, my name is Ivy Winfrey and sometimes things need to be a little bit weird. So here's a few of the weirdest stories I've found from around the world. A Russian politician has found that his election is being opposed by two other candidates with an identical name and appearance to him in an apparent attempt to confuse people attempting to vote for him. According to Andrew Roth at The Guardian, it's a somewhat common occurrence for Russian opposition candidates to find they're being run against by candidates with identical last names in order to reduce the votes they receive. However, Boris Vyshemsky of the Yabloko party, who was running for office in St. Petersburg municipal elections, found two other candidates running for the same position, also named Boris Vyshemsky, who also appeared to have altered their appearances to match his. When a district voting poster was revealed on Sunday, two other Boris Vyshemsky's were displayed alongside his photo, all three of them bald men with gray hair and goatees. The only way to really distinguish the three men was that the real Vyshemsky was wearing a tie in his photograph. At least one of Vyshemsky's opponents, who until recently was named Viktor Bykov, is uh, is believed to have changed his appearance considerably for the photographs. In a... An official photograph used on a St. Petersburg government website, Bykov had a head full of hair and looked years younger than the photograph submitted to the Electoral Commission. Bykov's identity was first revealed by the Russian newspaper Noyava Gazeta, and a St. Petersburg news website later published a screenshot of a document it alleged showed he changed his name on July 3rd. The elections poster, published by Vyshemsky, confirms that one of his opponents was previously named Viktor Bykov. Less is known about the other opponent, who was previously named Alexei Shmelev, and was reported to be a sales manager at a St. Petersburg company. Neither of Vyshemsky's opponents have campaigned publicly or had any public appearances. Until this week, it was unclear how they even looked, and it is still not entirely clear. Vyshemsky says he didn't know the men's motivations in running against him, but said, quote, I don't think they agreed to embarrass themselves like this for free, end quote. The Satanic Temple has joined the resistance movement against Texas's new abortion ban by arguing that restricting access to abortion medication would violate its members' religious rights. According to Sanford Nolan at the San Antonio Current, the Satanic Temple, based in Salem, Massachusetts, filed a letter with the U.S. Food and Drug Administration arguing that its Texas members should have legal access to abortion pills. The group's attorneys contend that its status as a non-theistic religious organization should ensure access to abortion as a faith-based right. In the letter, the temple argues that abortion pills, misperpropyl, and mifepristone should be... Available for its use through the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which protects Native Americans' use of peyote in religious rituals. The temple says those same rights should apply to drugs it uses for its own rituals. Lucian Greaves, the Temple's spokesperson and co-founder, said in an emailed statement that, quote, I am sure Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, who famously spends a good deal of his time composing press, uh, r- press releases about religious liberty issues in other states, will be proud to see that Texas's robust religious liberty laws, which he so vociferously champions, will prevent future abortion rituals from being interrupted by superfluous government restrictions meant to only shame and harass those seeking an abortion. End quote. The Satanic Temple, an atheist church with over 300,000 members, has filed similar lawsuits in the past across multiple states to highlight religious overreach. In one of the highest profile of such suits, the organization argues that it should be allowed to place a bronze statue of the goat-headed entity Baphomet in the Arkansas capital since the state also currently has a monument of the Ten Commandments displayed there. Public health officials are working to dispel claims that an anti-parasitic drug used for livestock is a potential COVID-19 treatment. According to Oliver Darcy at CNN, the Food and Drug Administration has released a public statement saying that Ivermetsin, an anti-parasitic drug, should not be consumed to fight COVID-19, tweeting along the statement, quote, You are not a horse. You are not a cow. Seriously, y'all, stop it, end quote. In recent weeks, ivermectin has been promoted as a treatment to both prevent and cure COVID-19 by conspiracy theorists and media personalities, including Fox News hosts Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, and Laura Ingram, as a part of a greater push against COVID-19 vaccinations as a way to reduce the spread and intensity of the virus. Now, there have been nationwide reports of people being hospitalized for overdosing ivermectin due to consuming the products meant for livestock, such as horse deworming cream. The FDA has warned for months that ivermectin can be unsafe and said that it has, quote, received multiple reports of patients who have been required medical res- support and been hospitalized after self-medicating with ivermectin intended for horses, end quote. While there are human uses for ivermectin, the FDA has not approved its treatment or pre- for prevention of COVID-19 in hu- humans, and the drug is not an antiviral medication. That's all the weird news I have for today. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. This is the Rocky Mountain Review. And now, for the weather.
0: Today was hot and sunny with a high of 88 and a low of 54. And Wednesday, you can expect a rise in temperatures to a high of 91 and a low of 54, with partly cloudy skies. Thursday, the temperature continues to rise up to 97 degrees with sunny skies and a low of 58. Throughout the next few days... Wind speeds stick to about 10 miles per hour with no chance of rain. And for Friday, you'll have to tune in this Thursday from 4 to 5 p.m. on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Koda Babcock, and information from this segment comes from the Weather Channel.
1: And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank our guests today, as well as Portia Cook,
0: Thomas Taylor, Stephanie Keel, Stevie Jones, Hannah Copeland, Addison Lambert, Elliot Hutchinson, Eric Shang, Brennan Cole, Lindsay Johnson, Eliza Droder, Maddie Erskine, Samuel Bailey, Ben Haney, Ben Krueger, Anna Schwab, Marie Tanksley, Melissa Rinaldo, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, Taylor Sandel, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you.
1: And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like
0: to thank you, Ivy.
1: And finally, we couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you.
0: And with that, we'll see you next time.